Hello and welcome to the Earthside Echo, your source for all the latest dispatches from Earthside. In this episode, we rejoin Scar Eye and the rest of the Shiver as they explore the strange new waters of Earth and devour new forms of prey. But the inhabitants of Earth are more dangerous than they appear, and preserving the Shiver sometimes requires more than just bloodlust and aggression. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of Hunter's Prey. The walls of their nest were scoured clean, every bit of structure torn away to make as much room for the shiver and their eggs as possible. They needed every inch of it. In the days since their attack on the subway station, Skarai and his shiver of hunters had gathered a small army of displaced followers. A clutch of whelks chittered in the corner, their walled shells scratching gouges in the stone walls. Skulkers and crawlers came and went in an endless parade of gibbering flesh, There were more when the shiver brought food back to the nest, but there hadn't been much food. Not since the soft prey and their weapons had shown up. We should eat them, Halfin thought. He floated next to Skarai, swishing his tail restlessly, stirring the soup of debris that choked the waters in this cursed place. What use are they to us, this prey? They can go where we cannot, see things that we are blind to, When they die, who cares but the dead? Skarai spotted a bit of meat floating beside Halfin and struck, startling the lieutenant a little, perhaps even frightening him. Skarai swallowed contentedly. The fear tasted better than the meat. They stay for now. Later, maybe we eat them. Whatever we need to live. Whatever we need. Halfin agreed but what he meant by it was a mystery. His mind was a trap, smooth and quiet and dangerous. Blackback was swimming nearby, turning slow circles in the tight confines of the nest. She bumped her way through the other hunters, drawing angry snaps but no attacks. The pup must have established herself among the shiver then. Would they follow her, if Skarai fell, if Halfin told them to do different? There was a commotion at the entrance, A crowd of crawlers, unfamiliar and silent, bubbled into the nest, pressing the shiver even tighter together. Then a figure rose from the water. It was Storm Siren. The siren carried a trident of shell and coral, and the scales of her tail glimmered in the dim light of the nest. She looked haughtily around the room, and hovered over the shivers ready to hatch egg sacs, separating them from their young. When her gaze reached Skarai, the Storm Siren smiled, row after row of small, razor-sharp teeth behind pale lips. Skarai, she purred. I did not think to find your like in these conditions. Do the shallow surface waters not appeal to you? The sky is breathtaking. The waters are shallow, and the prey sharp. We have no need of your sky, Siren. Skarai answered, his eye darting between the siren and the eggs beneath her. The storm siren's smile faltered as the grating sound of Skarai's voice intruded upon her brain. She recovered quickly. A frenzy, afraid of prey? There are many stories of your hunt, Skarai. 
many dead bodies floating in your wake. It is not the prey we fear. This is not a place for us. Then you must adapt. Adapt or die. A threat? Halfin answered. He sent a wave of anger through the room, a psychic wave that seized the lesser minions of the nest and pushed them violently toward the storm siren. Her pod of crawlers bristled, but Skarai snapped his jaws together. All eyes turned to him. Why are you here, Storm Siren? Your kind and mine do not hunt together. We do not hunt each other. You were born to other waters. You find your prey through treachery. The waters may answer your call, but we are more than water. This is not your hunt, not your waters. Do you enjoy these channels, Skarai? She asked. If you have no interest in the sky, maybe deeper waters. Would you rather stay? She waved a hand across the nest. Here? Skarai didn't answer immediately. His cautiousness was largely responsible for his long tenure as leader. The shiver floated quietly around him. Even Blackback was silent, concealing her every thought. There are deeper waters. It wasn't a question, but a declaration. You know the way? Yes. As you say, the waters answer my call. These foul waters sing a song of great depth to the south. Depth and safety. You cannot kill your way to safety, Skarai. Not this time. Not this place. The storm siren moved through her crawlers, running webbed hands over their frilled heads. If you listened to your followers, you might have found your way by now. Or your death. Perhaps ignorance is sometimes bliss. I am losing patience, Scar, I thought. A pulse of anger that couldn't be misinterpreted. The storm siren flinched back, along with the rest of her brood. Even Halfin winced at his rage. Say your peace, or leave in pieces. There is a river at the heart of this iron reef, she said. The landwalkers have set weapons at its mouth and turned the waters red with the blood of our keith. I am surprised the gore alone has not drawn you to your benefit this time. Anything that surfaces in those waters dies in heartbeats. We are not born for rivers, siren. Give us an ocean or leave. Patience, patience. The river leads to an ocean. Sick with prey and a whole world to hunt. You could be the predator of more than just a choked metal river. If you can pass those weapons, you can be free to roam. There is a new world to conquer. That sounds like a siren's dream. Not for hunters. Not for us. 
Then will you stay here, skulk among the trash, live your days in iron tunnels hunting thin coward's blood? The storm siren shifted her attention to the whelks and crawlers that filled the pod. How long until you are like them? Fighting over scraps, hunted by the land walkers, hiding from the light. Enough! Halfin snapped. He stood and loomed over Storm Siren, teeth bared, the cruel talons of his claws gripping her shoulders. You weighed us wrong, Siren. You cannot threaten the frenzy, no matter what you know or what we fear. I would live a thousand years in these tunnels rather than bend your will. It is not our will that we are bending to, Blackback said. She was standing as well. The pup was smaller than the rest, but the hatchwork of scars on her back, the flesh turned black, told of many fights and victories. She addressed both Skarai and Halfin as she spoke. But yours... You have led us to this middle ocean, this ruin, these waters of thin blood and warm rivers. It is like swimming in peace, and we have had our share of it. I do not care if you will not follow her. I will. Then you will die in your cowardice, Halfin said, whirling on the challenger. Your impudence! Skarai laid his great jaws across Halfin's neck shaking once and cracking bone. His former lieutenant gurgled as blood filled his lungs, claws futilely scraping across Skarai's chest. Skarai held him, staring into Halfin's eyes until he was dead. Skarai dropped the body into the middle of the room. The rest of the shiver fell on the flesh, tearing it to blood and bits. Speak to me, he said, only a whisper of thought toward the storm siren's mind. Tell me of this deep water. Corporal Gawley sat beneath the watchful barrels of the bow turret, smoking his pipe. A bootnet walked his slow patrol at the bow, eyes turned away from Gawley's pipe to protect his night vision. Beyond the gunwale, the travelled waters of the Thames slopped against the side of the ironclad. The HMS Saladon was too large a craft for this service, but desperation had pulled her in from the channel and Gawley with her. The corporal suspected she'd scuttle in place, even if they wrested London from the hands of the enemy. Hands, Gawley muttered to himself. Bloody tentacles more like. Talking to ourselves, corporal. Gawley turned to see Lieutenant Turl climbing down from the gunstack. The lieutenant's face was black with soot, and he wore the complicated headgear of the gun crew loose around his neck. Gawley smiled and motioned to the river. They're giving you a break, Tull. Haven't seen Hump or Harrow in at least an hour, Gawley said. He tapped out his pipe and slipped it back into his coat. Tull reached the deck and stood there for a moment, before sitting on the bottom step. He looked exhausted. Just enough of a break to make me nervous, Tull said. He made a show of lighting a cigarette and then held it between quaking fingers as he stared between his boots. The ranks are having a time of it. Just came from the radio station. Hard pressed from here to Whitechapel and who knows what's beyond that. You have family in Poplar, right? Old family grounds? Gawley asked. 
Toll nodded absently. Haven't heard since, sir. Uh... The lieutenant absently waved his cigarette at the sky. Not since then. He looked up. The scattered lights of the Poplar District were just ahead of them, nestled into a bend in the river. But they were bonfires, instead of gas lamps and hearth fires. Mum wanted to take the twins to our uncle's estate down in Southampton. But father was having none of that. Still, as always hope. Always hope, Gawley agreed. He watched as Turl's cigarette burned down to the man's fingers, then cleared his throat and turned away. Any word from Kensington? Not yet. Lines of communication are a bit daft. The lieutenant stood and strolled to the gunwale, tossing the spent cinder of his cigarette overboard. Army's supposed to have routes to Hammersmith and the Highgate, but signals aren't working in this fog, and last messenger we had from the mainland was half mad. They stood staring at the broken, flooded and burning city skyline. A crackle of gunfire came from the shore, answered by a flare from the Celadon's aft turret. Turl glanced up at his station, clearly wondering if it was time to get back. He sighed deeply. Where's your family, Gawley? Not here, Gawley answered. Nowhere near this hellscape. God bless, Turl said. He clapped the corporal on the shoulder and started the slow climb up to the turret. You must have a station, Gawley. Get back to it. All right, Gawley said. The crackle of gunfire came again. This time, a stray bullet whizzed off the gunwale near Gawley. The corporal froze. Why was the shore duty firing in the direction of the Celadon? They wouldn't do that unless... A horn sounded from the aft, and the turret roared. Plumes of water jetted up from the black surface of the Thames. Gawley peered in that direction, but there wasn't enough light to see the target. Finally, a flare arced up from the shore battery, turning the night into magnesium day. The surface of the river squirmed with rubbery flesh. Bright light reflected off glassy eyes, and a wedge of fins cut through the water directly toward the Celadon. The bootneck at the bow fired his weapon once, twice, then dropped to a knee and started to reload. The siren for General Station sounded, followed by the signal for boarders. Gawley was already running for the aft deck, rifle in his hand, the sound of boots on steel hammering through his head. The soft prey's iron teeth whistled harmlessly into the river around Skarai. The swarming carpet of lesser minions from his pod that led the charge turned the water in front of Skarai into a churning soup of blood and trash. He pushed the blood frenzy through their spirits, urging them forward, whipping them into a rage. Blackback swam beside him, a scarred body gashing the water like a serrated knife. Heavy fire fell into the water at the front of their wave, pulping a horde of whelks and throwing dozens more into shock. The charge faltered, but Blackback hurried to the fore. To blood! To deep water! Blackback urged. Only the slow will die! The rest of Skarai's hunters dove deep, letting the mass of crawlers take the brunt of the fire. The approach to the ship, such a strange thing, a piece of land moving around on water, was already littered with the dead of Skarai's pod. If the storm siren hadn't lent her own horde of crawlers, the attack would surely have failed. It is no surprise the siren did not come herself, Skarai thought, and his traitorous fury leaked out into the rest of the shiver. Her kind always leads from a distance. 
When did she last have blood in her gills? The hull of the monstrous ship loomed on the surface above. The cannon fired again, but the pod was under the turret's maximum declination, and the shells fell harmlessly into the water behind. Skarai watched as the horde of crawlers swarmed up the side of the ship. The river on that side of the boat quickly filled with blood and the scent of fear. Skarai patiently circled below, listening to the crackle of gunfire, tasting the frenzy of the horde as they tore into the prey and died in their dozens. The heartbeat of the ship thrummed through the water in a steady roar. The cannon spoke again, but its aim was far off and splashed far, far away. There is blood and we are waiting, Blackback complained. Why crawlers and skulkers when the frenzy of the depths can be bent to our will? Not all blood is equal. Their lives are easily given, and the cost of the battle is high. Skarai answered. He could sense the impatience of the rest of the frenzy and the growing strength of Blackback's challenge. If Skarai couldn't teach this pup the necessary patience of the hunter, it would be the end of this shiver. The prey rush to the defence, and their eyes are on the troubled waters. We should be where the prey has gathered. We should be feasting on their blood. We will feast. Follow and learn. Skarai flicked his tail, pushing his nose up toward the surface. He swam under the boat, coming up opposite the crawler's assault. When he surfaced, the sounds of fighting drifted through the air, but no alarm sounded at his approach. The fins of the rest of the shiver circled around him. When they had gathered, Skarai clambered up the side of the ship, slithering smoothly over the steel wall and landing on the deck. The ship was strange as were all of the things of this new world. A belly of iron and fire, wrapped in armour plating, and then surrounded by wooden decking that allowed the prey to swarm around it. Everything stank of that black dust, the lightning that turned the air into teeth. Skarai shook his head, angry that the siren had been able to so easily send him here to die. Killing the ship would mean getting to the heart of fire, Skarai was sure, but how that could be done was beyond him. He listened to the bark of cannon fire and the squealing of crawlers and wondered if he had been wrong to take the storm siren's deal. She knew her actions. She knew the dangers his hunt, that we would be eager for the taste of blood, be blinded by it. Skarai looked around the deck. The psychic voices of Blackback and the others pitched through the night. They were already full of bloodlust, eager to kill, even if it meant dying. The rest of the shiver slipped over the edge of the ship and crouched in the lee of one of the two big towers that dominated the deck. Skarai heard the voices of prey inside the metal discs, smelled the stink of gunpowder and fear that stung like fire in his nose. Frustrated, Blackback clenched her jaw against the tower's shell, trying to crack it like a mollusk. Her teeth dug deep gouges in the tower's skin, but the ship's flesh didn't wrinkle. This is madness, she raged. She bumped her nose against the steel, ringing it like a gong. How are we to bleed something without flesh or kill something without life? Everything that lives can die. If this ship does not live, it will be even easier to kill. He slapped Blackback's nose away from the turret to prevent the pup from striking it again. 
You have made enough noise. Silence! Blackback bristled, but went still. The rest of the shiver settled down, falling into Scar-Eye's lead. He crept away from the crawler's attack and headed toward the front of the boat, where it was quiet. The turret there rotated as far back as it could, but its guns were silent. The voices inside tasted less of fear and more of command. It was good to see that the prey had their own alphas as well. It made Scar-Eye comfortable to know that they could be challenged, disrupted and destroyed. The turret had a rickety staircase built into the outside, spiralling up to a platform on top. Scar-Eye motioned and two of the hunters rushed forward, disappearing over the top in a heartbeat. When there were no sounds of fighting, Scar-Eye followed with Blackback at his side. Scar-Eye had just reached the top step, when a blast of gunfire whistled over his head. The platform was slick with blood, and the two hunters who went first were lying dead on the wounded deck. A tight circle of prey stood around them, bayonets stuck firmly in the dead. They all looked in the direction of the other turret, where the gunfire came from. As one, they turned and saw Scar-Eye. Form line and fire! One yelled. They stumbled away from their kills, swinging their weapons in Scar-Eye's direction. A few of them fired before they were properly aimed, their shots digging splinters out of the decking. The rest fell into a loose line, presenting bayonets. Scar-Eye was already on them. He bowled into the middle of their line, pushing aside their rifles and hammering back and forth with his nose. One shoved his rifle sideways into Scar-Eye's jaw, but with a quick bite, metal and wood splintered like bone in his teeth. Scar-Eye took the trooper in the shoulder, closing his jaws around the man's chest and shaking until his bones cracked apart. The rest of the prey scattered, jumping over the side of the turret to land among the crawlers below, or to leap directly into the waiting teeth of Blackback. A shot cracked out, and hot fire laced its way across Scar-Eye's arm. He whipped around and saw one of the men, his face blackened with soot, taking careful aim with a tiny pistol. Scar-Eye growled and lunged forward, but the man's second shot thudded firmly into Scar-Eye's shoulder, spinning him to the ground. Scar-Eye crawled forward, taking shot after shot from the man's pistol. Finally, he leapt, arcing through the air, his jaws closed on the man's arm, and their eyes locked. The man fired a final time. The bullet tore through Scar-Eye's cheek, blowing a handful of teeth onto the deck. Scar-Eye bit down, severing the arm. The man stumbled back, staring at the blood pumping from the stump of his arm, shock and pain slowly passing through his face. Damn it, he hissed. I'm so close to home. Then he folded gracefully onto the deck and bled out. The rest of the frenzy swept over the top of the deck and swarmed him, tearing his flesh from bone. Scar-Eye settled onto the deck, fighting off the waves of pain that threatened to put him down. Blackback came close grinning. We are going to have to find a new name for you, old one. Something to name you when you are gone. Not gone yet. Not even close. Scar-Eye stood, motioning to the door at the centre of the turret. I will have more kills and wounds before this hunt is through. Remember me by that, if I am to be killed. With the fury of blood in their teeth and the scent of fear in their nostrils, the frenzy poured into the thrumming heart of the ship.
Gawley ran down the catwalk that stretched the length of the main gun deck. The cannons were silent, their portholes sealed to protect against the monsters that swarmed over the main decks outside. The gun teams were dead, or dying in the fore turret, along with the rest of the crew. The cries of the creatures outside, along with the constant hammering of claws against steel plate, formed a steady wall. He had to get to the aft turret and warn them before the whole ship fell. The doorway between the gun deck compartment and the aft quarters was open, in violation of general quarters, but Gawley didn't have time to think about it. He slid across the bloody deck, slammed the door and secured it. Hopefully, that would hold off the shark creatures long enough. He turned around and realised he was face to face with Captain Joyner and the rest of the command crew. They stood in a loose circle at the centre of the aft turret, rifles in hand. The gun ports were still open, and the sound of fighting outside was horrific. Gawley had been his share of battles during the Steps campaign and knew the sounds of killing and dying, but rarely had it sounded so much like a slaughterhouse. The sound of tearing meat and breaking bone was terrible and clear. Corporal Gawley, Captain Joyner said sharply, why have you left your station? Because my station has been overrun, as has the foredeck and most of the engine room. Gawley marched stiffly around the turret, slamming gun ports and kicking the locks in place. If the beasts hadn't ignored this place at the start, it would be knee-deep in squirmers as well. And I could ask you the same, Captain. This isn't the command deck. We were taken unaware, Joyner said. One of those bloody shell-bound demons smashed through the grates and killed Hamilton. We evacuated before it could get the rest of us. Evacuated? More like ran, Gawley snapped. Do you intend to die here, Captain? I intend to defend His Majesty's ship with every breath, even if it's my last, Joyner said testily. Really? Because we're getting down to the last breaths here, Gawley said. With the gun ports closed, the room was lit only by the gas lamps that guttered on the far side of the turret, away from the magazines. The harsh light threw shadows over the command crew, making them look like ghosts. The front of the ship is lost, Tull went down in the initial assault, along with most of the other lieutenants. Leading from the front's a great way to lose your head, I've heard. And they somehow got into the engine room. Though what the beasts will do with a boiler, I have no idea. But understand this, Captain. Your ship is lost. Not while I live, it isn't, Joyner said. You need to live. Get off the ship. The crowd needs to know about these shark things. How they fight, how they lead, how they kill, most of all. Most of the dead are lying in pieces up there. Just seeing that happen is enough to break a gun line if you're not expecting it. Gawley snatched Joyner's rifle from the man's hands and pointed to the roof. They haven't swarmed this turret yet. Get out while you can. Just leave the ship in the hands of the enemy? No, I don't think that will do. They won't take the ship, Gawley said. He turned to the magazine, the vast iron box that held the aft turret's munitions, and cycled open the door. Not in one piece, at least. The command team edged away from the open magazine, understanding Gawley's plan. To his credit, Joyner didn't move. It is the duty of the captain. Stuff your duty. Warning the crown is more important. They aren't going to listen to a corporal, no matter how clearly I talk or what threats I make. Let them know what happened. Then get yourself a new ship and give these bastards the hell they deserve. Joyner stood still for a long moment, long enough that Gawley thought he was going to have to force the man off the ship. 
Finally, he nodded and motioned his crew to the stairs. They leapt at the opportunity, jostling each other to the platform above. When he was alone with Gawley, the captain took him by the shoulder. Your name will be remembered, Corporal. I'd rather be forgotten, thanks. Whole reason I joined the Navy in the first place, sir. Gawley worked his jaw and then nodded to the stairs. Get going. You haven't much time. Joyner stiffly nodded and ascended the stairs. When he was gone, Gawley wrapped his rifle in punk from the cannon and lit it with one of the gas lamps. He went to stand in front of the black hole of the magazine. He tried to ease his breathing until the shakes left his hands and the shadows that danced across the floor lay still. Good enough, old boy. Hold steady. Just give them time to get off the ship. Give them time to get to shore. Best thing you can do. He took a deep breath, let it out, and took another. Maybe the last good thing you can do. The hammering started on the turret door, a steady shudder that shook the decks and shivered through his bones. Just a little longer, Gawley whispered, watching the door warp under the assault. Skarai resurfaced on the far side of the boat. The river here was much wider, and he could taste the first glimmers of ocean water in his gills. The city still crowded against the river's shores, but the low clouds that hung overhead were fog rather than filth. He pulled the clean water over his gills and gasped in relief. Why did we run? The frenzy swirling around him pulsed with frustration and bloodlust. Only half their number had followed Skarai's orders to jump over the side, leaving Blackback and her loyalists to storm the final turret. There is no blood in this water. There is no prey. Just a little longer. Skarai answered. Just a moment and you will see. But the prey! The thought hung in the air, cut short by a bone-deep crack that shook its way through the waters. A new sun boomed at the heart of the distant ship, followed quickly by a second and a third. Steel plates flew like autumn leaves, pinwheeling up to the air on a pillar of fire. The sound of the explosion shook the buildings on either bank. When the shockwave reached them, it drove most of the frenzy underwater with its fury. Not Skarai. He watched, bleeding, jaw-broken, tired. Blackback had pushed him to the edge, calling him a coward for fleeing, a beater for running away. It was only habit that had brought even half of the frenzy under Skarai's command with him, habit that saved their lives and ensured the future of the Shiver. The siren had her purpose. She knew what the prey would do when pressed. This prey will kill even after it is dead. The siren knew we would be blinded by the blood in our gills. Blackback saw nothing but the killing, nothing but the blood in front of her and the scattered prey. She had called Skarai a coward, but there was more to leadership than sating hunger and finding prey. The shiver must be preserved. The hunt must be continued. Caution was a necessity to survival. Blackback was blind to that, and now she was dead. The siren had a plan. Skarai turned his back to the burning ship, to the flooded city and its tunnels of choked water and soft prey. He turned his face to the deep waters of the ocean and the promise of hunting grounds they held. As do I, 
a plan, and a purpose. I will become the world's hunter. We will become the thing they fear in the depths, the death that waits for them in the cold of the ocean. That's it for another episode of the Earthside Echo. Join us next time for more Dispatches from Earthside.